0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, well, good morning, church. I got to tell you, I've really struggled with my voice this week, so I'm going to do my best to uh, not be as long-winded as last week. Oh, I know, you're really sad about that. My wife has told me that no one's ever sad about a a short sermon. So, um, if you have your Bibles, James chapter 4, and uh, we are going to continue through our study in the book of James. I had one of my good friends this week in the church, I won't make any eye contact, say, "Uh, Preacher, I sure will be glad when you get out of James, because I'm tired of you stepping on my toes. And I was like, it's a rough, rough book, I understand, it's got a lot of... Uh, hard-hitting facts in it that that James wants to hit his audience with uh, but we're gonna be in it today we're going to be in the end of chapter 4 starting verse 13 going through first part of chapter five next week we'll look at we'll wrap up the book we'll look at uh, responding to God in community and then the week after that we're going to have a special uh, deacon recognition and ordination service with a uh, uh, a time of worship and a time of communion, so it's just going to be a really special service with some testimonies, and you don't want to miss that. So uh, that's kind of how it's going to play out for the, the remainder of responding to God. Uh, but as we've looked at this, this, um, this book, as we've looked at this writings from James, um, we've, we've talked about faith. And that a proper response to God is faith. So if you're new with us this morning, this should catch you up. A proper response to God is, is an evident faith, and it's a fruitful faith, and faith always produces fruit. So as he talks about, you know, faith without works is dead, he talks about your words, he talks about your witness, he talks about all these things, even gets into your work, he's saying, look, you're gonna, it's going to be evident that Jesus Christ lives in and through you by the way that you respond to him in faith. So, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, there should be a black hardback Bible there in the pew. It's an ESV. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Feel free to take it. We won't tackle you on the way out. Uh, We might try to pull your flag, but we won't uh, tackle you on the way out. Um, So, uh, we'll be there in just a minute. But first, I want to ask you a question Are you a planner? Some of us in here are planners, some of us are spontaneous. Uh, Now, I'm a planner, okay? And uh, it was most obvious when. We finally saved up enough money to take our kids to Disney. So we saved up, you know, thousands of dollars to take our kids to Disney. They were little, and I had it all planned out. Now, back in the day, you didn't get the little wristbands. You actually had to get in line and wait in line, right? But there was this really cool thing called a fast pass. And so you could get in line for a fast pass and get your little ticket and then come back at a later time and not stand in line. So I had it all planned out. I had the map, I had the app, I had all the things listed to where we were going to hit every single ride, whether my kids were crying or not, I don't care, I spent this money, get in line, we're riding the ride, okay? Like, and, and I would just look over, they were tears in their eyes, just shaking in fear of the roller coaster, and I thought to myself, good job, dad. <laughs> Your kids are going to remember this forever, right? You're riding the ride. So I'm a planner, I, I like to plan things out. And not that planning's wrong, not that it's wrong to be a planner, but as James gets into this this last part of chapter four, he's talking about how we make plans and we plan out our lives without ever considering the will of God. We get so fixated on being the CEO of our life that we are all about the gains that we can get rather than giving God the glory with our life. And so if if you listen to CEOs when they talk about their business, they've got one thing in mind. Profit. They're looking for the profit. They're looking for the gain. One CEO for a Break Breakthrough Social says this about employees: Give them what they want. You're like, I should go work there. If they want more money, give them more money. If they want more time, give them more time. If they want more credit, give them credit. It's basic. You have to give people what they want to extract what you need. Wow! But make sure of this, you don't give anyone more than they are worth. It's important to balance the numbers and stay in the profit zone. The CEO of this business says, look, I don't care what I have to do as long as at the end of the day I show some gain. And when we are the CEOs of our life, we will manage our Monday through Friday as if we are the CEO. Look, as long as I lay my head down on the pillow at night and my life shows gain, then I've accomplished what my, what my week was to accomplish. And so James is going to be like, ah, that's boastful. That's arrogant. So James chapter 4. I'm going to pray real quick. I'm going to pray for my voice and pray that you can listen and pray that he speaks to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask, God, that you would speak to us this morning through it, that it would be so evident by the power and the presence and the indwelling presence of your spirit that we would hear your voice, that we would be disciples that long to follow you. And God, as I know what we're about to read, Lord, I am so sorry for times that I fail, that I manage my own time, and I disregard your will for my life. Father, we ask that you would make us a people who are rich towards you, people who long to do your will, that long to respond with faith, fruitful faith. In Christ's name, amen. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, the first thing that we're going to see this morning is a proper response to God recognizes that time is ticking. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. We'll stop right there on this first point. Proper response to God recognizes that time is ticking, that we have no actual control over our lives. Though we want to make plans, though we want to be in charge, we can't really control what happens in the next moment. Uh, let me explain it to you this way. Friday night, early Saturday morning, about 4 a.m. Sound asleep. Sound asleep. My wife and I were snoozing. I'm probably snoring because I've got all the head junk, you know. And I am I am long gone, out. And we have this really nice uh, full-length mirror that we just purchased and we hung it on the wall and it's hanging there on the wall. Every time I you know, get ready in the morning, I can check myself out, make sure I look good. It's there. It's beautiful. It's big. It's heavy. It's got three screws holding it in the wall. I mean, it is, it's is—it's massive. You know where this is going, right? At 4 a.m., it falls off the wall, lands and hits the footboard and shatters across the bed. That is a rude awakening, right? That is, that is like, what? What just happened? I, I had the moment there where I thought, can I just sleep in glass? <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, I better get up. The dog was perturbed. The dog like crawled into the covers like, ah, what is going on? So we were up vacuuming. We cleaned the whole thing up and then we lay back down and you're just wide awake because the mirror just broke on you, right? Like that'll wake you up. So I have seven years of bad luck. Just want to let you know. <laughs> it's kind of where I'm at. So I can't plan the future. Um, you can't control the things around you. You can think that you can control them. You can think that you can make plans. You can think that, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. But James is like, look, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go in such a town and spend a year and we'll trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You have no clue what tomorrow holds. Your life is but a vapor. He's not getting on to people for being business-minded. He's, he's actually equating this to this is a normal practice in this time. People would make goods and they would go into the city and they would stay there and they would make trades and they would, they would uh, do business for a certain period of time until all their stuff was sold and they would come back. So He's, he's just saying this is a pattern of life. I'm not saying it's wrong to be rich. I'm not saying it's wrong to be business-minded. It's wrong when all of your plans are your plans. And not God's plans when it's all about your gain and not about his glory see life is not about what you gain it's about giving God glory so my question is as you make plans are your plans looking and listening to what God wants and his will for your life you see in perspective how silly does it sound to make life about your gain rather than his glory you see, God is an everlasting God. He's omnipresent. Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. We serve a God who is, in, who is outside of time and space. He's omnipresent. God is everlasting. Isaiah 40, 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is immeasurable. We serve a God who is without beginning and end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. In perspective, how silly does it sound to make life about our gain when it should be about His glory? God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful, om- uh, omniscient, omnipotent. I'll get it out. Psalms 147.5 Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. So if life is not about the glory of God, then who's it about? Who's it about? Because you have to ask if it's about my glory, how silly does that sound? If it's about what I can gain in this midst of a time, like how silly is that? You see, man is but a vapor. He's a mist. It's literally a translation of the breath that comes out of your mouth whenever it's cold outside, you know, and you you start to see the breath and then it's gone. That's what he equates it to. What is your life? For it is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. If we are not careful, like the business Christians of the first century, we can become so focused on Monday through Friday and the physical gain of the material world that we forget the spiritual purpose of our life. If we're not careful, we can make it all about what I can gain this week and not about the spiritual purpose of giving God glory. Craig O'Shell, he equates this in his book, Christian Atheist, to someone who believes in God but lives as though he doesn't exist. James is writing to a a bunch of first century Christians and he's saying, look, I've seen this in your life. You're not responding as if... You truly believe that there is a God that controls all things, that His will is leading and guiding your life. You're making plans without considering Him. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So have you considered God's will for your life? Or have you planned your life and asked God to bless it with material gains? That's a difficult question. All such boasting is evil. You see, it's a subtle evil to profess Jesus as Lord, but live as if uh, he is not the Lord of your life, but that you are the CEO and the Lord of your life. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. It's interesting as I look at these verses, sometimes when you read scripture, it's easy to go ahead and just read them in chapters and just kind of cut off like, okay, I'm going to cut off what he's saying there and I'm going to move on to the next subject. But if it's a letter and he's writing all the way through, then you've got to kind of mix all these things together that he's saying. And so he's saying, look, there's some things you know you ought to do, but yet you're planning your life out and you're leaving that out. There's things you ought to do, and if you don't do it, you know it's a sin. So there's two types of sins there's sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are, are sins that, um, that we knowingly commit that go against God's word. We know not to lie. We know not to steal. We know not to cheat. We know not to murder, right? We know these things. And so we'll manage our Christianity in don't do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But he's like, look, there's some things that you know you ought to do that you've ignored. You're so fixated on your plans that you've ignored what God's called you to do with your life, which is to give him glory. Sins of omission are sins that that disregard what God has told us to do. So this is difficult, and this is convicting. And as I sat and I typed this week, you know, I kind of run through some thoughts with my wife as I'm typing and reading and studying, and I just looked at her this week. We were driving in the car, and I was like, I'm just super convicted. I'm super convicted by what God's Word says. So I want to just look at three things in God's Word. And see if you can pick out the sin of omission in the life of someone who claims to be a follower of God. The first one is in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. This might be familiar to you. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Let me just stop right there. You've got a priest and a Levite, someone who would work in the church. These two godly men of the time see someone in need and they decide, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan who would have been considered unclean, I guess would be the best way to say it, because of their um, race, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you need, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Sin of omission. Sins of omission ignore those who are in need. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 reads this way. When the Son of Man came, uh, comes in his glory... And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you... Who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to drink. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Verse 36, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... Then he will answer them saying truly I say to you as you did not did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me and these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life Did you notice the sin of omission Many will say to me on that last day lord lord and I will say I never knew you See there's it's easy to manage the sins of commission I'm a good person. I live a good Christian life. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. I've managed my Christianity well. But it's difficult to love those who are in need. Last one. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 1 John 3, 16 through 21. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Verse 21. Beloved, If your heart does not condemn us, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Sins of omission scripturally consist of individuals not using the riches they have to show the love of God to someone in need. I don't think it's a coincidence that the examples in scriptures that show us sins of omission deal with helping others, giving for the benefit of others, and using the resources we have to meet the physical needs of others. I believe it is important to God, and it should be a high priority for his people. You see, James is saying, you are planning out your week for the gain, and you are neglecting opportunities to give God glory in the things that God's given you. Let me ask you, are you using your short time here on earth to simply gain riches, or are you using your short time here on earth to give God glory through using your riches to bless others. Second thing, a proper response to God recognizes that our riches are rotting. Let's keep reading chapter five, verse one through six. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James is speaking to two types of people. He's speaking to rich Christians, atheists, unbelievers in the church, those who have come to the church but live as if God is not the Lord of their life. They say they believe in God and come to church gatherings, but they live their week as if he is not the Lord of their life. And he's also speaking to rich Christians that need to be reminded of how riches rot your heart and will one day turn to dust. This is such a difficult scripture to walk through. Paul would say this to Timothy in 6, 6-10, through 10, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So James would say, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have money. It's a sin when we desire those things, what the world has more than we desire God. James reminds his readers, um, uh, readers, unbelievers in the church and Christian ignorers that judgment is coming for those who have hoarded up treasures on earth and have turned a deaf ear to the cries of the hungry and the hurting. This is difficult, isn't it? Another story in Luke's gospel, chapter 12. 13 through 21, Jesus is asked a question. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He has a request. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plenty. Plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Full. This night, Your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. These words of Jesus, he says that we need to be on guard against covetousness. Guard yourself against this desire for materialism. Adam Clark, the theologian, said great possessions are generally accompanied with pride, idleness, and luxury, and these are the greatest enemies of salvation. Some of us, we've already been attacked. We've already succumbed to the deadly blow of modern, materialistic, mundane, so-called Christian living. We've been lulled into the bed by the materialistic temptress Who seduces us with worldly gain and causes us to spend our days seeking personal pleasure over the greater calling of spending our few short days, our wealth, and our resources on glorifying God. Guard yourself. See, the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. The man's problem was not that he had treasure on earth, but that he was not rich towards God. It's that he had such abundance and he thought to himself, what should I do with it? Should I use it to glorify God? Should I use it to further his glory? Should I use it because I love him dearly and he's blessed me so much? Or should I hold on to it? Should I hoard it? Should I put all my faith and trust in it and sit back and relax and say, I've got it made? How do you become rich towards God? If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Revelation 3. 14 through 20 some of you will find this to be a common um, scripture that you remember it's where the angel of the church writes to the church of Laodicea and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation I know your works you are neither cold nor hot would that you are either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, for I say, I am for you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and him and he with me. See, those who are rich towards God, those who have repented are those who have repented of their sins. Who have heard the reproof of God and have answered the door and the knocking on their heart. It's not the ones who sit back and say, I'm rich, I'm good. I know God. Church, we are rich. I pray we're rich towards God because we are rich. God has blessed us, blessed us with so many materials, so many things, so much extra that we stockpile and hoard and hang on to. We are the CEOs of our life. We make plans. We we go through life as if we, we know what the future holds. James is like, do you not see that life is not about what you gain? Life is about giving God glory with what He's given you. I pray that we're rich towards God. Here's the last one. Let me wrap up real quick. A proper response to God recognizes that His return is real. Let's keep reading. Verse 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James began to kind of hit some points as as he's closing out his letter. He said, look, I want you to be a people who respond in faith and I want you to be patient. I want you to establish your hearts. I don't want you to grumble with one another. I want you to to be truthful and honest. So be patient. Persevere. He says, look, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. What does the farmer do? The farmer works. The farmer's up before the sun rises, and he goes to bed after the sun sets. He spends long, hard hours out there working, reaping and harvesting and planting and weeding and doing all the things that a a farmer needs to do, but he cannot control the rains. He can't control the future. He's just faithful, with what he has. Church, I'm going to ask you to be faithful to what God's given you. You can't control the future. You can't control the harvest. Be established. He says, "Be established and establish your hearts. Strengthen and confirm your hearts. Keep your hearts from being wandering and wandering back towards the seductive mistress of materialism. Be patient and be established." Be gracious. Avoid grumbling. Don't grumble against against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And be honest. Be truthful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no in how you deal with others. But also be honest with God. This morning is a time to be honest with God. Have Have I made my yes, yes, and my no, no? Have I really submitted my life to the Lord? Is he really the one that gets to dictate my path? So James would say, respond to God in faith. Respond with a faith that trusts God with what you can't control. And honor God with what you can control. That's faith. You can't control the hours of your life. Not a single one of us in here knows the length of our days. But we know the author of life. Trust him. You can't control your health. As much as you want to eat healthy and run and exercise and do all the right things and read all the labels on the back of the cartons, you can't control your health. But you can trust the one who is the healer. You can control how you spend your wealth. Honor God with the things that He's given you. You can control your pattern of life Monday through Friday. How you talk to others, how you treat others, how you love others, and how you notice the ones who are in need. Honor God in humble obedience. Not just with sins of commission but with sins of omission church i pray that we are a church that is rich towards god i know that's a hard word this morning i know it is it was a hard word for me to deliver this morning but god's word is true and there is a king there's a loving king who sent his son so that we can have life and have it more abundant not that we would find life in the things this world has to offer, but we would find it in submitting our lives to Him because He is the author of life. He stands outside of time and space. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows exactly where you are. And He reproves the ones He loves. This morning, if you hear His Spirit talking to you, don't ignore Him. Don't go back to planning your own life, but maybe take a moment and say, I realize you are in control of all things and I surrender my life to you. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.